Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hundred people in a given week through family ministries, and so one of the things that I value is being able to tell good stories. So uh, over the uh, seasons, you're going to start inter- being introduced to some of our volunteers and key things. And I want to introduce you today, Jeff Smith. Jeff's is uh, I'm going to let him share who he is, but he serves in kids and middle school ministry and has been around this church for a long time. But um, Jeff, real quick, who are you? And uh, give us give everybody that may not know you a little bit about who you are, your family dynamic, and all that. Uh, Jeff. Jeff uh, Smith, uh, I, uh, I, I was raised in this church, uh, came here in fifth grade, and, uh, and, and now I'm married, I have five kids, and, uh, so, and we're a part of this church uh, in every way. Uh, Jeff, you have, since I've known you in the year and a half I've been here, you serve relentlessly. What is that in you that wants to give so much back to others? Um, when he says it like that, it, 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 that doesn't ring true for me. Um, I, what I do with kids and, and, and people here is, is what people have done in my life uh, since fifth grade. Um, and I was thinking about this week when he said he's going to interview me. He didn't tell me what he was going to say. But uh, I remember in fifth grade, the, the leaders at the time were just dads. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't know, really know what they were doing, but they just kept bringing us together and telling us about Christ and making fun games. And, and then growing up through the church, I walked away from Christ, uh, and uh, very much so, in high school. But the church people at the time, they continually just would see me walk by or something. Hey, how you doing? You know, I don't remember their name. But hey, you know, they, they were always, like, doing this kind of stuff, and I didn't even know half of them. And they did that throughout my life. And when I came to Christ, uh, they continued to do that. Even though I felt like I was a rotten kid, they just kept pulling me and pulling all of them in so many ways. I could go over to the lamplighter class right now and walk through and tell you about each one and all the little, little touches they had in my life and how significant it was in my growth because it encouraged me. It said somebody loved me. It said that people in the church really do love you. So... Long story short, why I do, or if I, if I can, I know how much it, it takes just to come up to a kid and just say, hey, how you doing, and great job, and da, da, you know, whatever, and if that helps towards Christ, uh, then I want to do that. So, simply put. Uh, you tell, you're one of our best storytellers for kids' ministry. You lead a 7th, 8th grade small group. You coordinated a 7th, 8th grade guy's small group getaway up to the mountains and recruited the ability for their dads to go along. Uh, You're constantly picking up other kids in the community to bring them to invite night. Uh, You roam our campus on Wednesday nights, just making sure kids are where they need to be, but you pray over them throughout the night. You are always touching with staff going, hey, what do you need from me? What can I do to help? You serve relentlessly because someone did it for you. What would you have to say to our body that they could be doing in the lives of kids, teens? Because you've modeled it, you've owned it, and what would you have to say to others? You know, again, he makes it sound like I'm really trying to do something here, but uh, the, the, 
no, no, he does. The truth is, um, you guys have a part. Um, and it's not like it sounds like you could. I mean, I trust me. If I was sitting there and somebody was up here and they were saying all that, I'd go, I can't do all that. I can't do all that. But I can do the small things that make a huge difference in kids' lives. And it's ignoring what their face says like and just coming up saying that it's, if you see a kid and you're looking at him, you can just tell, right? We can see kids and go, eh, kids kind of often going down. You know, we can see that stuff. It's pray for him. Right there, when you're walking by, you don't have to even say a thing. You just throw out a prayer for him. You see a family, throw out a prayer for them. Um, little things like that, uh, you know, if you see anything, it's not volunteering and coming, and, even though that's great, um, and it's easy to do, um, but it's, it's just putting your arm, thinking about these are our children, they're in our body, and our job is to disciple them and bring them to Christ and not let them stray off. And the littlest thing that I can do will make a difference because Jesus is the one who's doing it through you, and he can make great things out of your small little steps. Thanks, dude. So if you have a first through fourth grader, he's probably taught them God's truth. If you have a seventh or eighth grade son, he is their small group leader. So when you see Jeff, feel free to say hi. But one of the things that as a pastor I would ask in you is, hey, um, we're in a season of giving. It's a lot of what Christmas is about. What would it look like in 2019 that if you considered giving time and discipleship to our teens and kids, what would that look like? I'd love to have a conversation with you. Let me pray for us, and um, Gary's here to introduce uh, the message on Mary and obedience to God's word. So Jesus, thanks for this day. Thanks for the men and women like Jeff. Thanks for the men and women that serve relentlessly in our ministries. Thank you for the fact that we are in a unique setting at a unique time with unique word for a unique city. Jesus, we want to see your revival come, and we want to see lives changed. And we also want to know that what you do in us and through us is for your kingdom. So we claim that truth and we walk in that promise. Amen. Jeff, thanks for being part of things, man. Hey, come here. So I was at, I just came from Hudson and I had a parent stop me and go, your student ministry staff is off the chain. I go, what happened? What are you talking about? I guess there was a middle school event last night. Oh, yeah. So imagine having 50 middle schoolers in vans ready to go play broom ball, and you get to the rink only to find they lost your reservation for broom ball. And this parent just raved about you, about Katie, about Johnny. Katie's in the back. Katie, where are you? Right there. And uh, just said, my kid came home and said, we didn't do broom ball, but we ate a ton of pizza and we went into the gym. We had a ball. And this parent's like, that was masterful. So I want to thank you, Katie. Thank you. We have the best staff in the world, don't we? Thank you. Merry Christmas, everybody. I have a confession to make. I love Christmas, unabashedly. I love everything about it. I love the nostalgia. I love the tradition. I love the lights, the carols, the decorations. Uh, one of our newest traditions is about four years old. We uh, have Thanksgiving up in Tahoe, and then we go into the Tahoe National Forest for $10. You get a tag, and you can cut down 
uh, I think, any tree you want. The Tahoe National Forest would say something different. Uh, and it is just the best. This picture was taken, and uh, three of our girls were with us for Thanksgiving. Two didn't make it home. They were doing adulting stuff. And um, I, I went to bed that night, and I told Anne, I think this is one of the 10 best days of my whole life. Uh, and here's why. I controlled everything that day. <laughs> That's how I like it. And that's how we like Christmas. I control what we ate for breakfast, where we went in the forest, where I didn't control the tree, but I said, you know, let's see how we get the tree, all that stuff. And that's what we like about Christmas, right? We have the nice pictures, but we want those pictures controlled and happy because we're reaching for something. Speaking of Christmas cards and pictures, come back with me 15 years. And this is uh, the Gadini family Christmas. Don't judge. Fifteen years ago. Looks all peaceful, right? What a great family. Loves Jesus. Pastor. All the girls are all nice decorated. That took like 20 takes. And I kid you not, the picture we, we chose, not, not 10 seconds before, see the girl hanging on my shoulders who just is a college graduate and all that now, 15 years later. Uh, not 15 seconds before that picture, I said to her, because she was throwing a protest, she was crying, I don't want to take a picture. I'm like, you smile or I'm going to punish you. <laughs> Snap. Okay, that's all we need. <laughs> that's how we like it, right? That's what we want for Christmas. No one puts the real Christmas card up, real life. We want to deny that. We want to deny the chaos. You don't think Christmas is chaotic? Who's been in the Whole Foods parking lot uh, the last week? I was driving, the, I mean, they should just, that, that is just a crime. I was driving in there and my blinker's on, and I'm not bitter or anything, but uh, a car pulls out and then this car zooms right in and takes my spot, my spot, right? And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. That's actually why I was waiting. I was hoping you would come in and take, that's why my blinker was on, to show you, take that spot right there. everywhere. Chaos is everywhere, but we want to deny that, right? We want, uh, we want to deny the tension, and, and the reality is we hold to this, this is the tension we live in, this expectation of hope and peace and wonder and joy of Christmas, but it always collides with the chaos, and the chaos usually wins. There's relational chaos. There's family chaos. There's financial chaos. Add to that cultural chaos locally, a city in pain right now and divided and hurting, a country divided more than ever before, a, a world. Do you, do you see what's going on in France and, and the riots and everything going on? Chaos, chaos, chaos. How many of you would be willing to admit there's some chaos around my life this Christmas season? Come on, we can be real here. How many of you are sitting next to the chaos in your life this Christmas? <laughs> okay, wait, that was a dummy test, okay? And you just, you just failed. Here's what's beautiful. Pull it in. Christmas was never intended to be this 30-day break from the chaos where we live in la-la land and try to experience joy and peace and complete denial. And then January hits and the credit card bills and everything else and go back to our sucky life. That was never what Christmas was intended to be. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear this. I'll say it a few times. Christmas is for the chaos. 
That's why Jesus came, because life is chaotic. And Jesus wants to make a difference in the chaos. Christmas is this profound truth that was intended to penetrate deep into our lives and transform us in the chaos. Christmas, we really believe, can still change the world because it changes us in the world that is chaotic and broken and painful. So we're looking at these characters every week. Last week we looked at the shepherds and we're trying to keep it simple. It's simply Christmas. I love that. It's it's an accountability to me to keep it simple. So we have two word applications every week. Okay, last week, the two word application, it's not hard to forget. Who can tell me the two word application from last week? Let's go, right. Don't be afraid where the truth leads you. The shepherds had a a portion of truth and they said, let's go. You have to do something with what God entrusts to you. You have to, otherwise your faith isn't activated. This week we're gonna look at, in my opinion, the most heroic person in the Bible outside of Jesus. And we're gonna look at actually the statement, the most heroic words ever spoken in the Bible that didn't come off the lips of Jesus. Her name is Mary and we'll see her words in a minute. But to get to her and to make her come alive, because we want to sterilize Mary and put a nice little nativity together and and it's all clean and happy, to get away from that or to get into reality, let's let's just travel 2,000 years back, halfway around the globe to Palestine. Let's land in a small rural village. And let me just tell you a little bit about her life. Mary's Jewish, we're Jewish in this village. She's uneducated, she's a teenage girl in a working poor family, probably olive farmers, living in a Roman occupied country, dripping with political tension. Uh, Her village had fear, it had shame and honor in this small village, probably 400 people, that's the census of Palestine in the day, 400 max, everyone knows one another. Everyone talks about one another. It's good community, but if you break the shame honor system, you're talked about, you're ostracized. Uh, She's hungry many times because Palestine is in a time of economic recession when we jump into the story. And Rome is just squeezing out of their Jewish citizens exorbitant taxes. And if you can't pay your taxes, then you pay with a family member or you pay with land, or you pay with one of your crops. It's a no-win situation. Talk about chaos. Mary's living in it. And then there's an invasion of planet Earth from heaven with gifts. And I want to just tell you, I believe with all my heart, the gifts that heaven gives to Mary, God has for you and me. We don't really believe that for a number of reasons that I don't have time to go into. But I want you, and I built it out on page two, to see how these gifts are for you, not just for Mary. So let's look at them. Here's the first gift, a new identity, a new identity. That's where we pick up the story, okay? Remember the context? Here we go. Luke chapter one, verse 26. It's on your phone. It's in your notes. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. Luke is a biographer of Jesus. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you're here. You picked a great Sunday to come to church. Thanks for being here because uh, you are asking a question, what are Jesus's claims on my life? If I follow Jesus and identify as a Christ follower, what does that mean for me? We're gonna see that on full display through the life of Mary. Uh, And so I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for taking the courage to come into this community. You're so welcome here. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named People of God. This is an open book test. Every answer will be on the screen, okay? (laughs) This is participation, okay? A descendant of David and the virgin's name was? Good job, church. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are what? Yeah, you're going to see that word twice. The word is what we get the word grace from. It's really the core of what we get the word gift from. God says, there's a gift for you, Mary, not because you deserve it, but because God is gracious. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. The angel appears and says, literally, Mary, God has been waiting for this moment for thousands of years. Can you imagine the joy of all of heaven and and the angel saying, in heaven's eyes, you're highly favored. Uh, There's a a Bible translator named Eugene Peterson. He he translated a Bible. It's a paraphrase called The Message. I love how he translates this verse. Look at this. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Now, just sit in this. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. Is that how you sense all of heaven greeting you, your first waking moments of every day? I want to ask this extremely sensitively, but I mean this with all my heart. And it might be the most important reason and question I have for you today, and I've got like 12 of them. But this might be the whole reason you're in church. You ready? Why not? If you don't sense, if you're a follower of Christ, that that is heaven's greeting over you every morning, why not? What is it about you and your three pound brain, or me, I, I wrestle with this too, that thinks I know better than God knows what my identity should be. If anyone could look at her circumstance and go, favored, (laughs) beautiful? If I'm favored, why am I hungry? If I'm favored, why do Roman soldiers take people from my village as tax payments? If I'm favored, why is it so hard? You see, get where I'm getting at? We, and this will be the tension your whole life as a follower of Christ. Your earthly identity and God's heavenly identity. God will say something over your life and we look at our lives and we enter into identity amnesia where we forget who we really are and we just hold on to our LinkedIn identity or our Facebook identity or our, our, our Pinterest or our, our um, Instagram identity or our Christmas picture identity and go, that's what I've got to be. Anything short of that, I lose. Because we want to control Christmas and we want to control the image. And here's the sad part. There's a direct proportionate relationship between us believing heaven's identity in the gift of us and our impact for the Savior and our courage in obedience. To the degree we hold on to our earthly identity as opposed to our heavenly identity, we become passive, we become disobedient, we play it safe. 
Am I describing anyone else's life or am I just like talking about my own life here? That's how it is in the Christian life. Why don't you or I wake up every morning reciting this verse? When was the last time you had someone hold a mirror over you saying, this is how God sees you? And I know you don't believe it right now, but I'm going to hold this before you till it becomes so deep in you that you believe God's word over your circumstances. 27 years ago, uh, early on in our marriage, we conceived in our marriage in our second month of marriage. Uh, and, and, you know, controlling Gary, I wanted to wait five years, but second month, we still don't know how that happened, but uh, baby and Anne. And so we had to move from our nice one-bedroom apartment to a different apartment in Marin. Our one-bedroom apartment was on a huge hill uh, way up uh, in Marin. And I, would, I was a runner back then and, and would run down the hill. And the hill had three different slopes. Uh, they were called false ridges when you're running up them, where you think you've reached the top, but you get to the top and you realize there's way more hill. And, and so running down was no problem, but I could never make it running back up the hill. Never in, in uh, eight months of living there. And so we were getting ready to move in a week, and I turned to Ann. It was a Saturday morning, and I said, honey, I'm going on a run. And I talked about this with her, but I'm like, today's the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it up the hill. I got kind of worked up about it, and Ann's like, oh, okay, go. Like, have fun. So off I went and uh, ran around the flats in Marin and Santa Fell and come back, and I start up the hill, and I'm going, I, I got this, I got this, and it's just all self-talk, I can do this. And the first hill was no problem, it's not that steep, wasn't that long, go to the next ridge, and then there's a lot of hill, and I'm like, I can do this, slowing down, huffing and puffing, I got this, I got this. Getting up, I get to no man's land for Gary Gadini, the third part, like a 200-yard stretch, like, it's like climbing that wall right there. And I'm like, I can do this. And I can't even look up. I am breathing. I'm, uh, I'm in anaerobic mode, you know. And, and all of a sudden, I hear in the distance a horn. Meep, meep. Meep, meep. It was just barely over my breath. And you know how that verse is, my sheep know my voice? Like, I knew the sound of my horn. And I'm like, that sounds like my horn. Then I hear a faint voice from the top going, come on, honey. You can do it. Meep, 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 meep. And with all the energy I have, I look up while I'm, you know, just barely moving. And I see my wife and I see our little Acura old Integra. The lights come up, the lights come down. The lights come up, the lights come down. And out pops my pregnant wife. Come on, honey, you can do it. She's running in place, her stomach's going all over. And just going, come on, meep, meep. Meep, meep, and she literally honked me up the hill. I just believe in some small way uh, she represented what God does for you and me every morning. You wake up and God hasn't slept. And he says, I've been working all night long. And you're going to wrestle today with an identity. You're going to go to work and they're going to tell you you're this and that and this and that. And you're going to go on social media and compare yourself to everyone else. And you're going to face things and challenges. But I just want you to know, from heaven's perspective, you are beautiful with God's beauty inside and out. Honk, honk. Honk, honk. 
The first gift to Mary was a heavenly identity. And friends, this is the wrestle point in the Christian life. The wrestle point. You will wrestle with this your whole life. And so you pray for God, please reveal yourself, indelibly give me grace to believe what you say more than what others say about my identity. But it doesn't end there. God gives great gifts. The second gift is an eternal purpose. Verse 29, look at this. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is so encouraging, especially if you don't identify as a follower of Christ. Uh, Please, there might be some myths that get broken in the next two minutes. Troubled is a word. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in a different language. It's a word that means to be confused, scared, and disturbed, as anyone would if, if an apparition appeared to you, right? You'd be confused, too. You'd be disturbed, too. Please don't sterilize this. Mary was scared. Now, the word wondered, this is so cool. It was a financial term in the first century in the Greek language. It means to make an audit. It's an accounting term. She's adding things up in her mind. In other words, she's engaging her intellect here. Uh, I love how one commentator put it. He said, Mary shows us that responding in faith is a whole person experience that includes the intellect. See, if you think following Christ is mindless, that you have to like deposit your brain at the door and then come into some fairy tale belief in Jesus, that's not how the Bible portrays followers of Jesus at all. Uh, This commentator called Mary the first Christian. And what led her to have faith in Christ was the revelation of God and her intellectual engagement. Look, you can deny Christ and you can deny following him. It's your choice. We don't force that around here. But don't deny Christ because you've intellectually uh, engaged with all the material and history and archaeology and all that and go, no, there's no way he he could have existed. At least engage. And then as the shepherds would say to us last week, don't be afraid where the truth leads you. So she, she gets in on this. She's wrestling with this. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor, second word, second time that word's used, with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. In other words, Mary, you are going to be one of the only mothers in history who doesn't get to name her child. Because you're not older than he is. He existed before you. He's just coming into time now. He's always had a name. And so you've got to use that name. His name is, let's say it together, Jesus. And then Mary, now the angel's going to say things that align with the oral history of what she learned in synagogue. And if you thought she was doing a mental audit before, now things are really going to turn. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we're not Jewish. But if you were waiting for the Messiah, each one of those is a prophecy tied to the Messiah. And his kingdom will never end. And Mary goes, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I just think when I say that, I know we have eroded and stripped that word of its true meaning. We're not in awe of a lot of things anymore. We call things awesome that are just really mundane. This is truly awesome and confusing at the same time for her. She's saying as probably a 15-year-old girl, oh my gosh, 
For 400 years, heaven has been silent. We haven't had a prophet or an angel or anything for 400 years. I think you just said the Messiah is coming now. That's awesome. And then the confusing part. I think you just said it's going to come through me. I think the Messiah is living in me right now as an embryo. Did you just say, if I can be crude, that the Messiah is going to come into the world through a birth canal? That, that just is mind-boggling. Now hold on to that thought because we're going to get to it in the next point. But just hold this thought. The angel's really saying, Mary, there is an eternal plan God has for the universe. It never started. This has existed from eternity past. And it will exist forever in eternity. I'm here to tell you, you get to play a part in that plan. You get in on the family business. That's amazing. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think it's any less true of you? Or is God's eternal purposes, were they all used up in the whole time? Don't you think God has a plan for this community, for this peninsula? Don't you think tomorrow morning when you go to your place of employment that God has a design and purpose and intention for every employee where you work? Do you really wonder when you go back to where you live, into your neighborhood or into your apartment complex, that God doesn't have an eternal plan of love and good and forever with him for every person on your street who would never set foot in this building. And so God did the unthinkable. He sent you to them as a follower of Christ. Don't you think for the students in here that God has a plan for Woodside Priory and other schools, wherever you go to school, that you're not just there to get an education. You're there to make a difference forever through your work ethic, through the way you treat your fellow classmates. I just don't believe that God's best was used up with all the Bible characters. I really believe God's trying to give some gifts in this building of a new identity and of eternal purpose, that your best use of your time is not a Sunday for an hour. Please don't ever stop coming here. But God isn't done with you at 12.15. Tomorrow morning, when you go to your place of employment or your school, kick open the door and just go, it's your lucky day. <laughs> the God of the universe has sent me here today. And you're paying me to be here. But I have more than ulterior plans. I have ultimate plans for being here. To be the best employee or student at this school and to leave something that lasts forever behind. God has a purpose, an eternal purpose. We were hiking yesterday uh, in Edgewood, and we ran into the Darlene's. That was really fun. Uh, but we ran into a couple, young couple, young PCC couple uh, prior to them. And um, it was so encouraging, very encouraging with the Darlene's, but it was encouraging with them too because uh, they've been on this journey towards fostering. And there's a stirring in our church right now around fostering. We really believe as a church and other churches are joining us, there should be no kids in the foster system whatsoever, that there's enough Christians in the church, churches on, in San Mateo County where every kid can be led into a home, okay? And so this family's caught that, and a and, uh, young family uh, just out of graduate school with their PhD and just up-and-comers, young kids, frankly, the worst time to foster, 
okay? And uh, they said, hey, they said, we just got approved for our home, by our home study. The social worker approved us. And guess what we did this weekend? I'm like, what? It's like, by faith, we bought bunk beds. They have no room for bunk beds in their house. Those bunk beds, have, they have to put their two kids in one room. The bunk beds go in another room. And they, they were so excited. And they said, but the social worker told us this isn't going to be easy. And then this woman with as much excitement, like she won the lottery, said, but why would I want easy with my Christian life? It's like, Gary, I don't want to face Jesus who'd gone to the cross and tell him I chose easy. She was so excited about that that they got let in on God's plan for them of fostering. Now, it's not for everybody, but we each have a plan. God has a gift for you, Ty and Pam, of an eternal plan that he wants you to let in on. Most of us look to our circumstances or we look to our moral track record and go, I'm disqualified. And that's where we get to the third point. The third gift is this, limitless power, unlimited power. Mary says, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, that's a polite way of saying, I might be young, but I'm not stupid. My mom had that talk with me. <laughs> and what follows is just so encouraging again to me that God loves it when we lean in with holy curiosity that leads to obedience. Like, you don't have to let me in. You're God. I just have a three-pound brain. But if you could, could you tell me more? That's her heart. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And without her curiosity, we wouldn't have Luke 1.37, which has provided so much encouragement for millions of followers of Christ for thousands of years or hundreds of years. This next line, the angel says, in reward of her curiosity, for no word from God will ever fail. That says every word in our Bibles, God will come through on. I want to ask you sensitively, do you believe it? Do you really believe it when it comes down to it? What God's called you to, which is beyond you, the only way you can do it is in the power of God. Just as Mary is pushing back saying, this is humanly impossible, the angel says, <laughs> when did I ever call you to what is humanly possible, Mary? I'll be honest with you. Our city doesn't need to see what is humanly possible in the name of religion. Honestly. The boys' club can do what's humanly possible. The girls' club, the YMCA, I'm not down on any of those things, but they're doing what's humanly possible. The biggest need in our city today is what is inhuman, uh, what is suprahuman, which is above humanly possible. It's the biggest need in your place of employment, too. Supernatural character, supernatural faith, supernatural prayer, supernatural forgiveness, in the chaos, supernatural hope. So Ann and I, this weekend, were away for our anniversary, and we rented electric bikes. Has anyone ever ridden an electric bike? It is awesome. I mean, we rode like 40 miles. I don't think I burned one calorie. <laughs> and this person's telling us how to ride this electric bike, and there's a level of electricity, one to five, and there's a button you push. And you pedal like a regular bike, and then we came to our first uphill, and he's like, push the button. I pushed the button, and all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, hey. And I kept pedaling because I was prideful. I didn't want to look like I'm not pedaling, but, but it's, like, it's like there was energy in my feet. And I went up the hill 20 miles an hour, pedaling the whole time. It was awesome. And we get to the top, and Ann and I are talking, I'm like, this is stupid pastor stuff. And I'm like, that's just like the Holy Spirit. 
We, we, we engage a little bit. I had to steer. I had to, I had to keep balance. I had to pedal a little bit. But the Holy Spirit kicked in, and it got me further, and it got it more enjoyable and more powerful than I ever could in my own strength. That's just a glimpse of what the angel's saying to Mary. Mary, you're going to need this power to live in obedience to my call. What is the call of obedience on you that's clearly displayed in God's word that's beyond you that you need the power of God for? I've learned in my short 54 years that every act of obedience requires more of me than I ever, ever initially sign up for. But the payoff and the benefit is greater than I ever could have imagined. And Mary would have had to hold on to these three gifts her whole life, her new identity, her eternal purpose, her supernatural limitless power. Think about the chaos that ensued at that point. Can you imagine that conversation with Joseph? He hadn't had the dream from the angel yet. And Mary's like, yeah, um, I'm pregnant in the shame honor culture of 400 people. But I haven't been with a man, I promise you. And then going to her parents with that conversation, I promise you it's the Holy Spirit. And then going to Joseph's parents with that conversation, you didn't think, you don't think her life got more chaotic? And she was obeying God's will. And then nine months going to Bethlehem, which wasn't 400 rural, but it was no more than, let's just call it 4,000 in Mary's day. It's Joseph's hometown and there's no room. Do you know why there's no room for Mary and Joseph? Because of the shame that Mary brought to the family. So no one opened her door in Joseph's family to Mary. And then every boy two and under gets killed. Talk about chaos. And then they have to live as refugees in Africa, Egypt for years. And then the call of God is to go right back into that 400-person village in Nazareth for 30 years. She's raising an ordinary boy in the village's eyes. You don't think any night Mary's going, uh, God, when is the Savior of the world going to be the Savior of the world? He just looks like an ordinary carpenter to everybody. They're still talking. And then he goes public and becomes the most controversial figure in the whole country, and that's your son. And then you bear the chaos of a crucifixion. Friends, I don't know who ever told me or why I got in my mind that obedience brought, um, brought like chaotic free living. That is a lie. For Mary, obedience just made it more and more difficult. The chaos ensued. This is the chaos of Christmas, but the simplicity of Christmas is the last point. It's Mary's gift to us, because I believe every day Mary had to cling to, I'm favored, I have purpose, I have power from God, I can make it through this day, the next day. I'm favored, I have purpose, I'm empowered by God, I can make it through the day. Who wouldn't want that? The only way to activate it is through Mary's gift to us. And that leads us in closing to the most courageous words in all of Scripture outside of the words of Jesus. Here it is. Look what it says in verse 38. Mary's gift to us, bow down. Complete surrender. Mary says, and I'll use the literal translation, I am the Lord's slave. 
I have no rights. I've come to that place of complete freedom. May everything you've said about me come true. In other words, Mary gets out, I'll use an old school model, gets out her checkbook to God, date, dates it, signs her name, Mary, amount, rip, you tell me how you want to spend me. I'm all in. In the midst of all that chaos, she makes that kind of courageous choice. Which leads me back in closing to this last picture or the picture I showed you, our last Christmas card that we ever took. We still take pictures, but we don't send them out in cards. Actually, that picture never made it out. There was a lot of chaos in my life in that picture. Raising four girls, I was way out of my league. How to be a dad to daughters. Uh, Being married, my wife would tell you, I was not pleasant to live with at that point. A brand new pastor, lead pastor of this place, way out of my league. A lot of pride, a lot of stress, all that. And then a week after this picture's taken, my brother's killed in a tragic car accident. And a tidal wave of chaos came over my life. It threw me for a loop and put me into a depression. I didn't know how I was going to get out. Fifteen years later, this is a trophy for me that stands the testimony of God's grace. Because the reality is Christmas doesn't come to change the chaos. Christmas came and simply Christmas is changing us, me, you, in the midst of chaos. I remember sitting in the library and it was late one night and just no one was in the whole library. They gave me the keys to close it because I'd study there and looking in the darkness and just going, personifying death that happened to my brother and go, I didn't ask you to come into my life. I didn't welcome you. This isn't my agenda. You aren't welcome here. And then turning to God and going, what in the world? I was doing everything right. I wasn't, but you know, you think that. And feeling cornered. I couldn't run away from God. I wouldn't want to do that. But running to God just felt so painful. God just going, let me just carry you. We'll just take this one day at a time. So I want to ask us as we close, what's keeping you from full surrender? What is it in your life that you're stiff-arming God and you're saying, you know what? I'd rather have controlled Christmas, give the appearance of peaceful, but you know and I know there's chaos all around that. Why not live like God into that and give him that and let him make sense in you of the chaos and strengthen you in the chaos with a new identity, with renewing your mind of an eternal purpose, with a power source to carry you through. We call that surrender. We call that bow down. Let's pray. Choice is yours. Are you willing to bow to a Savior who loves you more than anyone on earth could? Look, the reality is someone, many of you might be fine with your current state. Maybe it's working for you. But if the chaos of this season is robbing you of the joy of Christmas, the joy of Jesus, are you able to say to God, I bow down my identity?
I want to be identified as a follower of yours, and I want to live in what you say is true of me. That's a turning from yourself to God. Are you able to say, I bow down and surrender my purpose? I have a feeling a lot of your purposes and God's purposes overlap. That's how God works. But are you willing to say, God, take me, take my Monday through Friday life and repurpose it forever? Are you tired of living life in your own strength, your own power? Can you bow the knee and just confess, I don't have what it takes. I need you, Jesus. I need you to empower me to be the woman, the man, the teenager, the student, the neighbor, the employee, the wife, the husband, the single person you want me to be. Look, I'm not promising you if you do that that your chaos will end, but I am promising you get something better, the presence of Jesus to repurpose the chaos forever. So what keeps you from bowing down? Jesus, we give ourselves to you. Take us. So sorry for making this about us. You know. You know the fear, you know the clenched fist of what we're holding on to, what we place our identity in. We bow down and worship you. Christmas is about you. We want your life to be overflowing in us and through us to a hurting world. Be honored, Jesus. We surrender all. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.